Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Cloud Wars Live, where we explore today's digital revolution by speaking with business executives and thought leaders who are changing how the world lives, works, plays, learns, and dreams. Our guest today is Sean Amirati, who's got a fascinating dual career as both a venture capitalist and a professor of entrepreneurship at Carnegie Mellon University. Sean himself is a serial entrepreneur. He's an author and also a podcaster. He's one of our regular monthly digital all-stars. And Sean, it's always a pleasure to have you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Bob. So, Sean, a couple things. One is, uh, boy, the, the whole world of WeWork. Uh, yes. What the heck is going on there? And Sean, what are your observations? Yeah, well, well so there, there's a lot, I think, that we're in the process of unpacking when we think about WeWork. And, you know, I think there's a lot of I've lessons along a lot of different levels here. Uh, if you've been living under a rock and haven't heard uh, what happened, right? So WeWork, um, which uh, was certainly a rocket ship in terms of their ability to consume cash, if nothing else, over the last few years, uh, was all set to go out at a $50 billion, roughly $50 billion uh, market cap. And um, in the process of issuing their S1 and starting that road show, uh, I think as people spent more and more time looking at the business and, and the company was forced to take some uh, maybe questionable metrics that they come up with, they came up with this concept of what they called uh, community-driven EBITDA, um, which, I, you know, Bob, I know your, your brother is an accounting professor at University of Pittsburgh. I'm, I'm fairly confident Harry's never taught community-driven EBITDA to, to anybody before. Um, I think we just call that a made-up metric. I think that would be actually the way to describe that. Um, but as as the market started looking at these things, um, uh, you know, the 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 IPO basically went off the tracks, or at least uh, is going to be significantly stalled at this point. And then um, as uh, more and more information came out, uh, the company and, and the founder and CEO ultimately decided it was time to bring in some, some new leadership uh, to the organization, which is kind of an amazing pivot because if you actually look not that many, month, not that many weeks ago even uh, to the original S1, the CEO was, was elevated to you know, Jeff Bezos level in terms of the number of mentions in the, in the, the report and, and there's this, this critical asset and the, the board had given him all kinds of control. So he got, you know, 10 votes for every one vote uh, of his uh, shares. So basically give him effectively control over the board. Um, so a lot's come out. Um, and I think, you know, there's rightly a lot of criticism, um, both uh, in some of the cultural things that have come out about stories about how he, how he led the, the uh, organization. You know, if, if those rumors are true, um, I think, you know, people need to be held to, to a higher standard on that front. And, uh, and also there's some, there's, there's a lot that's come out around how the board managed um, the, the entity, which is, which is also real, like corporate governance is, is something that's important and it doesn't seem like maybe was taken that seriously. To me though, beyond all that sizzle and, and sort of fodder for great, you know, popular press articles, to, to me, I think there are some lessons here that are worth stepping back as we think about digital transformation, right? The, the topic that you're... Um, that you're focused on here and, and this digital revolution. And to me, lesson number one, and I think um, it's, it's important not to miss this, is you know, when you're talking about moving physical things like atoms, like in this case, real estate, uh, 
the, the costs around that are just different. And one of the things I think that, that feels from the outside looking in may have happened here is uh, I think SoftBank, who's, who's um, the largest funder of WeWork and has, has basically propped up a lot of these, these late stage companies, tried to treat it like a completely digital company. And I think that's why you see metrics like quote unquote community driven EBITDA, um, even though it never would have the unit economics that would come along with a digital business, right? This was always at the end of the day, a real estate business. And the way real estate businesses work are that you, you have to actually either buy or uh, lock into long-term leases, fixed assets. And those come along with real costs. And, um, you know, it looks like as you sort of unpack the S1 and they've been pushed to create more normal metrics, we still don't have a sense on profitability of individual properties there. So it's still a little bit difficult to, to slice and peel that back. But it's clear just from what you can decipher from the, the financial statements that the unit economics were never going to look like unit economics of a business like EC2 or, or S3 or or the Google Cloud or the Oracle Cloud, right? These, these, this is not that kind of business. It, this is actually is more of a lock-in fixed assets and then slice them up for timing premiums. And there's a different multiple applied to that and you got to run those businesses differently. That doesn't mean that it's not important for um, innovation to come to commercial real estate. I think that's incredibly important, uh, but we need to do it in a way that takes into account the realities of uh, corporate real estate and, and really any of these industries that are being transformed now. Hey, Sean, you know, it's a, it's a fascinating story. And in some ways, it's easy to look back and say, ah, you know, what were those morons thinking? Yes. Um, it, you know, 2020 hindsight and so on. But um, there's just, it, it speaks to this notion of this, uh, this sort of phenomenon here that, you know, everything new, everything different is sort of cool, interesting and all this. And you're point i think that really strikes home to me that you know the first thing you said was when you deal back in the physical world the, the world of atoms and stuff and uh real estate you know speaking to that so clearly fixed assets and so on like that you can sort of dress that up all you want with the fancy terms and the slick marketing and so on but ultimately you know those things have a level of cost to them that just can't be swept under the rug or 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 played with. So I was laughing about your community driven EBITDA. Uh, and I guess that's one of the warning signs, right? When people start, uh, even if today's financial metrics aren't all perfect, when people start to come in with these sort of new age metrics, it's got to make somebody like you a little bit nervous as, as you look at these things. Yeah. And I, I think there's, there's, so I think that's exactly right. And I think you're right that like, it's, it's easy with 2020 hindsight, right? But, but the, the point is, there's a difference between, so, so all of the SaaS companies today that you cover so well, right? They're, they report gap accounting that looks like what your you know, brother teaches young MBAs every day, right? And then they also give additional metrics that are relevant to help you understand what's going on in a subscription economy. I have no issue if WeWork wants to say, look, here's our general accounting, statements you know these are gap just like everything else and here's some things that will help you understand how those statements evolve over time right so in in the SaaS world that so many of your listeners are used to right it is really relevant to understand things like lifetime value churns really important 
what's the real cost of acquiring those customers, right? Those are important metrics to understand if you're thinking about many of these cloud businesses, but you can't do those and then ignore the fact that ultimately things like cash flow and unit economics and, you know, just, you know, frankly, profit and loss is like, like real EBITDA, you know, what's, what's the real earnings yeah. before interest tax depreciation amortization. It's like a real thing. You, you still got to actually give people that information. Right. And you gotta, you gotta make sure that the metrics that you're, that you're using to help, you know, provide insights into how the business are run actually tie back to ultimately the way that all businesses ultimately are, are judged, right? Which is their ability to, to make a profit uh, at some point in the future. Sean, you know, the, uh, I'm going to bring in another subject here that, that ties to this. And yeah. uh, again, I, I, I'm getting the, the 2020 hindsight thing, but as new business models emerge, and I think that's such a big part of your thinking and the work that you do both at Carnegie Mellon and uh, as a venture capitalist, your podcast is Agile Giants. So, so much of that stuff is about these new business models. And I, I was first when I first heard about what WeWork was doing, I thought this is pretty extraordinary. As you said, commercial real estate needs a good kick in the ass. They need to move into the 21st century. 100%. Maybe this company could do it. But that aside, this, uh, and here's the, the peripheral point in some ways, you know, thinking a lot about what's going on these days with machine learning and various parts of artificial intelligence. I mean, they're, they're extraordinary technologies and they can drive great benefit for companies, but those companies will be able to realize that benefit only if they are massively transparent to consumers or customers, but Correct. here's how we're using it. Here's what it means. Here's how it affects you or doesn't affect you. Here's your right to say yes or no. And in some ways, I guess the folks that we work were blinded by something that caused them to think that they could somehow be immune to this, this uh, surge of transparency that's taking place now, big company, little company, whatever industry you're in, it just seems that that's something we're all going to have to answer to in this digital age. And so that's one of the things that puzzles me because the people at SoftBank, they're not dummies. Um, yeah. Somewhere along the way, people got caught up in the froth and, you know, the hype of stuff. And we're forgetting, I think, a point that you always make is, you know, <laughs> Ultimately, stuff comes down to, can you make money at this? Sure, sure, it's a cool idea. It's cleverly packaged. Can you make money at it? So I, I wonder, you know, there, there's a lesson in there for all of us, I think. Yeah, I, so I, I think you're right. And I think the reality is WeWork is a great idea. It just might be like a $10 billion great idea or a $15 billion great idea, not a $50 billion great idea. And it, it, you know, and it might need to go out and, you know, 24 months at a price like that. And that's going to be painful for SoftBank, right? And the, the ripple effects of that are going to be serious. But, but commercial real estate, I mean, it used to be awful, right? <laughs> it, like, I, like, I think if, if you think about entrepreneurship as making the world as it ought to be, right? The, the world needs solutions like WeWork. They need co-working spaces. And WeWork really did pioneer this, this, um, this model of, of, you know, buy the drink or, or buy the desk um, uh, office space that was, that's really important. A ton of our startups are in WeWork spaces today. Now, now I think, you know, because of how they ran the business and we don't really know this, but I would speculate, I, I'm not sure they even have profitable unit economics today on their facilities, right? It turns out, 
you know, beer and kombucha on tap is expensive. And there's a lot of that in WeWork spaces, unfortunately. And so, so they may have gone too far and they, they may not, you know, they, they may not have done everything exactly right. I think the brand is still strong. I, I think if the board actually provides the type of guidance that boards desperately need to in, you know, 2019, they could end up building a great valuable company um, may not be $50 billion of value, but, but a $50 billion company is pretty rare. Um, yeah. And so, so, I mean, there may be a great path forward and, and, you know, they've now got these, these co-CEOs and, and we'll, we'll see what happens with them. They were, but they did solve a real problem. Some of it also comes back to like, I actually do think the community is a really interesting impact of that. I don't think it changes your quote unquote EBITDA, but I think the community is interesting. I mean, a guy that Bob, you and I used to spend a, a ton of time with when he was in Pittsburgh and still catch up with now and then Richard Florida, uh, the guy who coined the term creative class, right? I mean, there was no good office space for this quote unquote creative class. And the, the WeWork guys and, and this model they pioneered, every city you go to today, it feels like there's a WeWork in it, right? And, and there's a place for that community to gather. And I think that does, that does, I think you can explain that that does deserve some premium, probably not a 5X premium, but it does deserve some, some premium to, you know, CB Richard Ellis or whoever your favorite comparable commercial real estate business is. Now, I'm not sure if the right way to make this world better is we work as a brand new company to pioneer that or some of these existing legacy businesses that know the fundamentals of running real estate so well. I'm not sure which of those is a better approach. My intuition actually is that the potentially one of these established businesses that knows the fundamentals of everything it takes to make an office run on time, integrating some of this creative class thinking and making them a little more community driven, like that might be a, a better way to, to ultimately solve this problem. Sort of neither here nor there right now because uh, WeWorks raised so much money that the board has an obligation to figure out the best option for those assets at this point. Um, but, uh, you know, I think, um, I think that they were solving a real problem. I just don't know that it was, that was at this scale. And I do think there was some amount of either lack of transparency or lack of um, checks and balances between management and the board um, without being in the room. It's hard to know which of those it was that I think ultimately set this company on a, on a really unfortunate path because it was, it was and hopefully still can become a really valuable uh, entity in the world today. Sean, you know, there's, uh, as always, a, a number of good points you raise, and let me see if I can get you to just uh, pick up on a couple of these. So you said it, it uh, we work still a great idea. It just might not be a $50 billion great idea, but it might be 10 or 12. And hey, that's, <laughs> there ought to be more 10 or $12 billion great new ideas, right? Sure, sure. Yeah, and, and the other point that you raise about the need for boards to also transform themselves in some ways, right? The, either both the, 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 the committees they form, the subcommittees, the responsibilities, the priorities, in right. some ways that, that you, you can't, uh, and that, that's just, anyway, you just proven it here with, with this story. It, it, it's not deadly, but it's gonna be, uh, you know, horrendously painful for a lot of people in yeah. this. There are lessons to learn in it. And the third one I wanted to ask you to pick up on, Sean, is the, uh, you know, is there an agile giant in the commercial real estate business that might be able to say, hey, you know what, 
maybe some of the execution wasn't perfect here, but with what I know and what I have and what I could do, if I have the courage to really change, you know, we can help expand this movement. Yeah. yeah so, so I'll, I'll hit those in reverse order on the third one. I, I, I hope so. Like, I, I don't know. I have not I've had a couple preliminary conversations with a couple of people in the, in the commercial real estate space. Um, you know, they notice the same thing everybody else does, which is the billions of dollars flowing into this, this new category called prop tech, right? And they're trying to figure out what that means for, for their businesses. Um, and part of it is, that, you know, they've got the opposite problem that we work at, right? They've conditioned their investors to expect them to run their business a certain way. And, and they're going to need to rethink about how they, how they do innovation, how they communicate innovation. It's, it's probably going to look like the process that you saw up close and personal when Adobe went from packaged software to subscription software, right? There, there's a J curve that comes along with that as you educate the market to evolving business models there. But I think there's a real opportunity there um, for sure. On the board point, I think that's incredibly important. You know, Bob, um, you, you were, you watched the IT industry go from a utility to a strategic uh, objective for every company, right? And think about how boards changed, both what management was actually in the board meetings, and then also what they were looking for when they were bringing outside directors in to support those companies as IT went from this kind of, you know, corner of the office utility to a thing that drove business value. Right. All of a sudden, the CIOs are CTOs are, you know, critically involved in individual board meetings right there. They're in the room when those discussions are happening. And then you're looking for directors who understand that. I suspect over the next five years, you're going to see the same thing with transformative innovation. I think you're going to see more and more public companies want to put people who really can help support this transformative innovation around the board table as outside advisors. And you're going to see. Um, I don't know what title they'll give them, but some type of chief transformational innovation officer or whatever, but they're going to have people in the room from management representing these kinds of, these kinds of goals. And then on the, you know, the needing the, the $50 billion exit versus the 10 to $15 billion exit. I, I agree. I mean, you don't get to the scale of SoftBank being dumb. I mean, they, they clearly um, were very good at telecommunications and they, they, you know, were, were incredibly effective at fundraising. But I think the dynamics of managing a hundred billion dollar venture fund really are tough because it does mean that a ten billion dollar outcome actually doesn't move the needle for you. And that's, you know, as a guy who runs a you know a forty some billion dollar fund um, where a ten billion dollar outcome is is career defining, I can't imagine even a billion dollar outcome is career defining for us. I can't imagine the hurdle that you have trying to to manage a fund where you have a hundred billion AUM and you know they're about to kick off fundraising for it for another fund supposedly although i think this we work story is going to going to make that difficult in the short term for them yeah sean i want to uh tie a couple things together here as we close one is uh last time we spoke i gave you uh, an acronym that i'd come up with btm that's right mass trans and i, yeah. I haven't heard back from you on that so <laughs> we got to get working on that yeah i have not I've, okay. I've, I've not started commercializing that yet, but I do, I do not, I have not forgotten uh, where attribution should lie on that one. Okay. So. Well, just 50-50. Just okay. And I think That's today I, I've, I would, because um, I've got another, maybe, maybe we'll do this every episode, but okay. you talked about the, you know, the community-driven EBITDA made-up metric MUM, 
I mean, you want, you want to tell companies, you want to stay mum on these subjects. <laughs> so, I like it. I like some, it. Yes. Of course work there. So again, we, we can split yeah. that, but Sean, I want to I mean, we may need to go thirds on that with your <laughs> brother as well. Cause I feel like he could actually teach the real metrics, but, but I like where you're going there for sure. Okay. Okay. Good, good. And yeah, there's an, uh, you know, some listeners we'll, we'll see if we can get any of them involved in okay. it as well. Good. But good. Sean, you know, uh, the, the ebb and flow of things over time. So you're talking about SoftBank managing, you know, $100 billion portfolio yep. for investments. When I first met SoftBank, it was in uh, early 80s. And I went over there with um, one of the uh, family members that, that owned the media company where I worked. And we sat down, people at SoftBank, they wanted to license some of our properties to begin offering those in Japan. So that was fine. But it was also the lunch at which uh, I ate raw seal. And that's <laughs> the only time I've done that. And I, I think that uh, I feel that as SoftBank has transformed itself over time to something quite different from what it was, I have chosen to stay consistent. And I, I continue to have that be my one and only raw seal experience. And okay. I, I'd just like to get your impression of that. Yeah, I, I, I'm surprised you ate any of it. I, I feel like that's the move where you just sort of move it around the plate and, and hope something else comes out afterwards. But uh, obviously it was a good licensing deal if you were willing to consume yeah, a little seal. So. But I didn't know that's the thing, that the transparency that I've been yammering about wasn't there. I, I wasn't told. I, I just saw this great thing in there. So Sean, you know, know what you're doing, know what you're eating, know what you're investing in, know what you're getting into, know That's what right. your board should be doing. A lot of good stuff here. Yeah, you could have saved, saved them like 30 <laughs> or $40 billion, Bob. That's incredible. <laughs> it all ties together, Sean. Right. It all ties together. That's so right. Sean, any last words before we head out? No, I think this has been a fun conversation, Bob. I always appreciate you having me on. Thank you, Sean. Just before you go, tell us uh, what's up with Agile Giants and where can people find out about it? Yeah, so... Uh, um, you can subscribe to Agile Giants on any of your podcasting platforms. It's, as, as Bob said, it's a podcast where we interview corporate innovators and, and get their expertise. So um, we just had on an author from uh, Columbia Business School who has a, a new book called Seen Around Corners that came out. And then I'll have an interview coming out uh, later this week or probably by the time this episode comes out. We'll have just come out uh, with Dave Knox, who has had a really interesting career as a change agent inside um, Procter & Gamble, and then was CMO of a digital agency for about uh, a decade, and then uh, today does a bunch of um, work in kind of investing and, and corporate innovation as well. And it's kind of a fun conversation about his career trajectory and, and some of the things he's seen there as well. So it continues to be a ton of fun to have those conversations. Great, Sean. Uh, you know, it's, it's a fantastic uh, podcast. I, I'd urge everybody to check out Agile Giants. And Sean, as always, for your monthly uh, discussions here, Amirati on innovation. Thank you for being here. And thanks to all of you folks for tuning in and watching or listening here at Cloud Wars Live. And we look forward to seeing you next time.